Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello and welcome to Barron's The Way Forward. I'm Greg Bartalis, and my guest today is Ray Sclafani, the founder and CEO of ClientWise, which is Barron's Advisors' exclusive coaching partner. Ray is a professional certified coach and has been in the industry for more than 35 years. Previously, he spent 20 years at Alliance Bernstein before founding ClientWise 17 years ago. Ray, welcome to the program. Great to be here with you. I'm really excited to talk to you because right now there's an awful lot going on in the industry, um, volatility in the markets, et cetera. And you're, you've been plugged into the market for, uh, ver- into the industry for a very, very long time. Um, and I want to touch on topics that advisors really need to know in order to get an edge uh, today because the, the amount of disruption is definitely high and increasing compared to years and decades in the past. So let's start with um, what you think is a top of mind that advisors need to keep in mind. Well, let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is uh, lots of volatility and lots of uncertainty in the marketplace. It doesn't take uh, much to look around the world at lots of uncertainty. But the best in the business today are really grounded and focused on their client and the value creation uh, in building a multi-generational business. And so I've talked a lot over the last few years, especially about this idea of building an enduring firm and what it really means to do so. So irrespective of this environment, um, there's uh, such a wonderful way that advisors can be connecting more deeply with clients and building that multi-generational business. The needs of the next-gen client are gonna look different than the needs of their uh, boomers, uh, their Gen Xers, and advisors want to start really thinking about segmentation of their client roster and who they're really building their firm to serve because the needs of each of those kinds of clients will look different. And, and what are the best advisors doing uh, on that level? The best advisors are actually uh, building a team of next generational professionals that they're recognizing that most don't want to do work with mommy and daddy's broker or advisor or agent. Uh, They want to actually work with somebody uh, that looks like them, uh, that uh, is kind of the same age or generation who brings uh, fresh and new ideas. I think it's been true for many, many years, decades, that the advisors who were growing at the most effective rate were the ones who were laser focused on who their business was built to serve. And in today's landscape, when we start looking at uh, Gen Z, uh, we're looking at uh, the millennial two segments within Gen Y, we're recognizing that those populations are larger than any population we've seen. And uh, the the women uh, and the transition of wealth to women in the US is off the charts. The data is screaming. I remember back in the mid 90s, you know, we used to say the boomers are coming, the boomers are coming, the boomers are coming. Wow, they're here. And and what a profound impact they've made for generations. Well, truth of the matter is, this next couple of generations coming behind that group is going to have a wave of impact in the industry. So what are the advisors doing? They're thinking about ways to serve those clients differently right now. And when advisors are hiring 
younger team members to serve these people so that the clients look like, if you will, the advisors. Are they, once they're seeing success, assuming they do, are they emboldened to d- dive in even more? Or do a lot of them just stick to a steady trajectory of, well, let's wait and see and see how things flesh out? I mean, what what's the um, the, the conversion or zeal for the buy-in, if you will? Well, it, it's clear the clients want that kind of relationship. And at least what we see in the coaching work that we're doing here at ClientWise, and uh, I lead a team of 45 professionals and growing today, 27 of which are, are coaches, master certified or professional certified. So we feel like we've got a good uh, data set of what we're seeing in kind of patterns. This idea of building something that's enduring, you know, that's part of a vision that advisor has or doesn't have about what they're trying to build. And so when they're, they're thinking about team members, uh, uh, having team that's more diverse uh, by gender, race, and age, uh, by developing those people, and, and probably the most important thing, if somebody's listening to this podcast and like, okay, I'm, I'm all in, we need more women, we need, need generational, we need somebody in their 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s, I'm all in. The one message I hope everybody walks away with is the support the support. If you're going to build a multi-generational, multicultural business, uh, one that's built to serve clients multi-generationally, you have to support those individuals. Those team members need written professional development plans. Those team members need weekly one-on-one meetings. Uh, These team members need support in a different way. They need more mentorship. Uh, they me- need more professional development. They need to shadow, you know, the senior advisor or advisors or controlling owners on appointments with clients. They need to figure out how to acquire the technical skills so they can provide advice and guidance. Man, that takes time and investment and capital. So, you know, you got to have a budget uh, to to attract and retain and develop. You've got to have somebody on the team who's committed to developing those people. Uh, there's got to be weekly uh, communications. There's got to be monthly and quarterly performance reviews and feedback. So, Greg, it, it isn't just is it, what I'm seeing among teams. There's buy-in, uh, there's support, there's sustainability and longevity when there's a commitment to developing uh, those people. And in terms of um, hiring people to to act as support, and I know that can manifest itself in a number of roles, are advisors or, or should advisors be looking more out of the industry? Because, I mean, there, there's often been this refrain of, oh, there's not enough young talent, et cetera. But a lot of times the people looking are a little bit have blinders on and often want certain boxes checked of, oh, they got a degree from here, they studied this or that. But there's so much talent and there's so much ability amongst people from all walks of life that likely could shine at these firms. So I'm just curious to explore that. How how does that play out? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, For sure, uh, broadening the scope and looking for talent uh, wherever you can find talent is critical. Uh, the latest data points to the fact for the first time in a long time, we're actually seeing the number of advisors in our industry expand. And I think there's been a shift. Uh, and the shift, you know, historically was, uh, you know, sort of somebody got into the business back in the 80s and 90s or early 2000s. The emphasis was around sales and focusing on finding new clients. And I think what I've seen is a pretty pretty dramatic shift uh, from just hiring somebody as a sales profession, professional by the way, eight to nine out of 10 of those never make it anyway. And so it's the unicorn, you know, one or two out of 10 that end up, uh, air quote, making it as a quote, sales professional. But but the advisor who's going to succeed today, um, sure, uh, the business needs to grow. Uh, most businesses are growing through referrals, and we can talk about growth in just a bit. But I think the, the relational skills, uh, the technical skills, and the leadership skills, I think there are four buckets of skills. So where an advisor choose to cast uh, cast the net 
whether it's uh, looking at CPA firms, looking at law firms, uh, looking at uh, all of the universities now that are uh, across the country, many uh, are developing CFP standards uh, and, and helping graduate young professionals with uh, technical skills and some relational skills uh, and some leadership skills, but maybe not the sales skills. You know, the old days, it was the lone ranger that needed to go out and eat what you kill, hunt, find a client, bring it back, you know, to the barn. Great. Now we've got a client. Uh, but today, teams are hunting in packs. The young professionals are doing it different than I think the here's a yellow pa yellow pages and a white pages and smile and dial and bet a bunch on a hunch and two headsets. And, you know, that game's that ship sailed. And I think the advisors that are uh, modernized their firms and recognizing there's different way to hunt, recognize that there's different way to find talent. And so broadening the scope and looking in those different places uh, and looking for younger professionals and women you know, who want more flexibility in the workplace, the, the stickiness, the sustainability of those uh, employees as they come into the organization tend to stick and stay when there's more flexibility and support. Okay, so what else do advisors need to know today? And what's another edge that you recommend? I think intentional growth has got to be at the top of the list. I was at the Chip Rome uh, Tiburon CEO Summit most recently, and uh, Chip's firm shared some really insightful data about where growth is occurring. And there were two displays that he shared that I thought uh, were all telling. One was that the bulk of the industry, 70% uh, of growth over the past nine or 10 years has come from uh, growth in the markets, where only 30%, you know, when you strip out the growth of the market, only 30% of growth came uh, inorganically vis-a-vis -vis finding new clients and, and, and generating new revenue. Now that should be a showstopper of an exclamation point for most advisors. Um, but, but the second display even caught my attention even bigger. And that was that if you look, especially in the RIA channel, um, uh, the profound uh, nature of who's growing and who's not, only 6% uh, of advisors um, are generating 78% of the growth which means that 94% of advisors are only generating 22% of the growth. So everybody's talking about this, like RIA, uh, they're growing, they're growing faster than everybody. Oh my gosh. Uh, but they're not. And uh, then you look at the wirehouse channel and, and you look at the Merrill's and the Morgan's and the UBS's and the Wells and you go, okay, how many advisors have brought in one or two or three net new households of a quarter or a million or more and it's anemic growth. It's, uh, it's a bunch of advisors who are just not outgrowing uh, their business. They're not finding new relationships. And we're among the most under-penetrated uh, market with over 300 million Americans and give or take 300,000, air quote, reps, you know, with CRD numbers. Uh, the number, I think, when you strip out bank tellers and wholesalers and you know, uh, uh, service uh, professionals, there aren't that many advisors in the country. It's probably only 150,000. So if you look up and you say, uh, man, is there an opportunity for growth in this marketplace? And, and who's really growing uh, and who isn't growing? I think for advisors that are uh, really thinking about building an enduring firm the, the, and building something that's multi-generational and building uh, out a, a whole group of next generation team members, the opportunity for growth in the US has never been better. And yet, um, I don't see many really committed to growth. I mean, our, our firm, we generally find people, uh, clients who are committed to growth and committed to building enduring firms. So our population size, we're a little uh, uh, warped 
in that most of the people that come to us come to us because succession matters, endurance matters, growth matters, developing people matters. And, and so we see most of our clients in intentional growth mode, uh, but, but most aren't. I think being committed to growth is arguably far more important now than in the past, because in recent years, or at least for a decade or so, we had really rock bottom rates that facilitated easy money, easy financing of deals. So I think through all of that, that M&A frenzy papered over, it obscured the fact that there was a real lack of organic growth. People saw the headlines, deals, 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 but underneath the surface, again, there wasn't much organic growth. Now with rates much higher, um, deal making more expensive, it's kind of like, oh, what clothes is the emperor wearing, right? It's, it's always been important, but especially now, it's, it's far more imperative, I, I think, to sink or swim. What we are, we are just beginning to see the early stages here of, of multiples uh, sort of peaking out. And uh, you see some of the large ag- aggregators in the RIA channel, especially, um, they're slowing. They're being more intentional about the acquisitions. And to your point, uh, Greg, they're looking for firms that are truly in growth mode um, and who have demonstrated an ability uh, to bring in new clients. Having said that, especially in the RIA space, many of the advisors are, uh, especially the large firms and aggregators, are, are gaining the benefit of the custodial relationships and the referral programs these firms bring. And I, 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 I dare to say that if many of these firms um, were left to actually uh, focus on growth and build their own institutional model and not be fed uh, a number of referrals. Hey, I, I appreciate somebody's got to still, you know, build the value proposition, bring them back to the team, you know, get the clients excited about wanting to work with the firm. But I, I dare say if, if many of these firms uh, in the wirehouse channel, uh, in the independent channel, weren't uh, really fed uh, referrals, they might not grow. So uh, if you look at EBITDA and EBITDA expansion, uh, many of the large aggregators are trading at 18, 19, 22 times EBITDA, um, and they're buying firms at eight and 10 times EBITDA, so there's an arbitrage. Um, I think most of these firms uh, are, uh, who are not in growth mode, thinking they're worth eight or 10, uh, are lying to themselves. They're probably worth three to five EBITDA at best, and maybe you know a couple of times you know gross revenues, if they're lucky. So. Uh, yeah, there, this is going to put a really interesting perspective and and help these advisors who are really in growth mode gain the benefit of, of multiple expansion and growth. And the professionalization over the past 25 years in our business has really exploded. And um, I don't mean to say that advisors aren't professional; they're totally professional. But but this this corporate governance and you know really thinking about team and expansion. Most advisors in our industry are accidental owners. And so uh, most are waking up here and saying, wait, I've got an asset. If I look at my balance sheet, you know, this business is actually worth something. And what do I want to do with it? So I think there's an awakening. And then this next generation of advisor is poised uh, to capture uh, uh, growth in maybe a bigger way than somebody in their 50s thinking about exiting. For the accidental owner, and let's just, let's just for shorthand say this person might be a little bit reluctant or not naturally in their skin as the owner, um, is there any differentiated advice for them in terms of getting ahead, in terms of maybe needing an extra nudge or what have you? Yeah, the skills, uh, there was a Michael Gerber quote many, many years ago. He wrote uh, the E-myth, and uh, the E in E-myth stands for the entrepreneur myth. And I remember many, many years ago uh, reading that book, and the quote that stood out for me was this, that sooner or later the day comes 
that just because you possess the technical skills uh, for your trade or profession, you're going to need to go out and acquire the business management skills to know how to run a business that does the technical work. And so I think uh, what I'm seeing is a, is a, is a diversion uh, or a split of some kind where advisors are recognizing, okay, I've got to have those skills to acquire and retain and serve clients and then successfully transition them to a next generation advisor. Okay, I got to do that well. By the way, I have to run a business that does that work well. So whether it's um, compliance or technology or it's operations and finance or HR, those five functions are critical to uh, thinking about how to run the business effectively. So to anybody out there thinking, okay, so where do I begin as a, as a great CEO, as a great uh, owner um, to be less accidental and more intentional, uh, start thinking about the vision of what you want to build. Uh, start thinking about uh, your strategy uh, to want to grow that kind of firm. We've talked about some strategic initiatives in this, uh, in this podcast, uh, but then start thinking about those five uh, business and operation functional areas and whether you've got the skill to lead in those areas uh, or you need to attract and, and, and retain talent who can be in that leadership function. What's materially different now than, let's say, last year? That may not be entirely self-evident because all advisors are reading the news and they're smart bunch and up to date. So what, what's something they might be missing that you think is important? So um, outside of the capital markets and the volatility and you know all of what we're paying attention to there, um, I think there, uh, I'd be a fool if I didn't say uh, you got to pay attention to the blockchain um, and the digital assets. Uh, there is a, a wave. Just look at the, uh, read the company uh, shareholder reports around how much money uh, these firms, whether it's JP Morgan, Bank of America, Fidelity, Morgan Stanley, uh, uh, pay close attention to what these firms are spending on blockchain technology and, and what the future is going to look like in the digital asset space. Um, I think that is going to have a big impact. And this is not a crypto conversation like, oh, everybody should own crypto. I'm talking about what blockchain technology is going to do for security, uh, for privacy, um, for cyber uh, uh, security. There's a big attention, I think, to play there. And, um, and while there's a big, every, ooh, AI, you know, uh, machine learning and what's really going on in the AI space, I think there's going to be a dramatic change uh, over the next uh, five and seven years uh, in, in the world of AI and, and how that applies to what advisors can do. And I can give you a silly example. Um, there's a couple of firms that do some social media marketing today where they're using AI technology and they're looking at uh, their clients' uh, um, patterns. You know, somebody uh, uh, announces that they're pregnant. Well, we know nine months later, they're going to have a baby. Um, somebody uh, who has some patterns of what they're posting or not posting and what leads to a retirement um, or a change of job. I mean, these are basic, really, really basic that we're already experiencing today. And I know of advisors that get weekly reports from their social media partner that says, uh, here's a list of clients that you need to contact and here's what you should probably discuss with them. And in some instances, the advisors go, oh yeah, we've just met with the client. We're aware of that. But in other instances, it's like, whoa, and if you run a bigger business, you may not know all of what the client's going on in each of their lives. And so that's a silly little example on the AI space. I think it's going to get ridiculously more uh, complex, you know, especially on surveillance and, and compliance on CRM system technology. I think many advisors are going to look up and look at their business five and seven years from now and, and really think about um, uh, the pressure on margins and the cost of running the business. 
and and how they're serving clients so many of the tasks that they do today are going to be automated and ai is just going to uh, produce a lot of work and it's going to save advisors a lot of money and so i think there's going to be ways that firms apply that so i'd be I'd, if i were an advisor today i'd be reading about all of that both on the digital asset blockchain space and all the ai this is we're just in the early innings of what's happening uh, uh, in terms of application to our industry stick with the advisory world there's some people who um, think it could be quite disruptive and others who think it'll be a, a big benefit because a lot of low-hanging fruit can be you know, automated and whatnot. Do you fall more into one camp or the other longer term, you know, acknowledging we're in the early innings still? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. So uh, here's my opinion. Um, this is a relationship business. Um, I, I don't think uh, we're going to get away from, at least in my lifetime, uh, where the importance of connecting human to human uh, is is going to change. Uh, but I can recall a time when I was attendance pre-COVID, uh, I was at a conference, and I remember uh, walking up to, uh, was a 42-inch monitor that was vertical. And um, and you walk up and, and, uh, and, and there's a question, would you prefer to work with uh, a man or a woman or other? And so uh, you can check the box. And so I said, a woman. Um, and then uh, a person came up and started asking me a bunch of questions. And effectively, Greg, it was a fact finder. It was, uh, well, tell me about your family. Uh, tell me about uh, what your goals are. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your net worth. And uh, tell me about your income. And all of a sudden, you know, it was this really uh, easy uh, intake uh, interacting with an online uh, uh, digital uh, person. <laughs> and what was really funny was the fact finder was collected and then it was like the next button, and then now it's time to meet with your advisor. And I thought, wow, what an interesting way. I'm not so sure, you know, but it's not too different than when I go to my doctor uh, for a checkup and they give me the, you know, the form that I never really enjoy uh, with the clipboard mm -hmm. uh, filling out. And say, no, 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 842 That's times. right, yeah, yeah, right, because they're protecting themselves. Man, what an interesting way to create a better experience had somebody just asked me those questions right. and we could have cut to the chase much faster. Yeah. Now, I know that's a really stupid example, right? But but the no, but, you get on the phone to press one if you want this, press yeah. two and you do that, but then okay, at least it, you get into the right neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So I I just imagine uh, there's going to be a heck of a great benefit to advisors in the future, but but I don't see a time where we're going to lose the connectivity and relational uh, aspect of what's great about this business. Okay. We're running low on time. I want to ask, are there any other points that you want to touch on that we have not hit yet? Yeah, I would, uh, I would touch on uh, one point we didn't hit on uh, that comes to mind, especially right now for advisors uh, who are looking for an edge, uh, is pay attention to your margins. There is going to be an increase over the course of the next 12 and 18 and 24 months in the cost of running the business. We're already beginning to see the early signs of E&O insurance is on the rise, state registrations is on the rise, compliance and surveillance is on the rise, uh, rent utilities, maybe, maybe not. We'll see uh, where advisors land on workplace environment. Don't need to get into that here. But the point is that the cost of running a business, I think, is on the rise. And there's a, that's, the, that's the killer that you can pay attention to and can control. So, you know, typically if you look at your P&L, especially for the independent advisors, use a 40-30-30 model. 40% uh, of gross revenues needs to go to professional staff. 30% is operating expenses, including support uh, personnel, and then 30% profits. 
really pay attention to your margins, pay attention to your P&L. So you can control that 30% if you're paying attention to it uh, and you're intentional about it. Here's the silent killer. The client or clients uh, where there's service creep. Uh, the client who pays uh, fees per year of uh, you know five, ten, or fifteen thousand dollars a year in fees, but consumes you know eighteen thousand dollars worth of uh, team members' hours. You've got to really pay attention. That's the silent killer here. Advisors who are successful are starting to uh, uh, charge a fee for service, whether it's episodic or uh, ongoing, subscription-wise. Uh, like an attorney where, hey, you're changing jobs, you're headed to retirement, updating the plan is going to require extra work. It might be a retainer fee of $2,500, $3,500, $6,500, whatever that is on top of the fee on AUM. So I'm noticing advisors are gently increasing fees by adding some episodic kind of payment or just saying, hey, uh, basis points on assets is, is rising, cost of servicing and delivery is rising. But if clients are looking for more service, and you're not receiving an increase in fees for the additional service you're providing, you're experiencing margin compression, whether you know it or not. So, uh, Greg, the only other thing I'd add is this idea of focusing on uh, profitability. And in the Barron's tradition, I'm going to ask you for an actionable idea before we wrap up. Probably the best uh, business book I've read in a long time, and I've mentioned this on a few podcasts, but I think it's important and noteworthy to mention here as well, is Adam Grant's book, Think Again. He also has a fabulous podcast. I won't miss an episode. But in Grant's book, he applies a tremendous amount of uh, research to this notion of these uh, belief systems, things that we think we know to be true. Um, and I think for advisors especially, the ones who are intellectually curious that are looking at the business today and recognizing the rapid change. I mean, we hit on probably five or six maybe uh, uh, systemic kind of big changes in our industry. Now's the time to pause, stop, and think again. And I think Grant does a great job. So I'd uh, recommend uh, that Audible or uh, regular book uh, for sure. Terrific. Well, thank you for that advice. And thanks for uh, joining. Thanks for allowing me to be here. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. My guest has been Ray Sclafani. For more advisor-specific podcasts, please check out barons.com slash podcast. For The Way Forward, I'm Greg Bartalis. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor.